Cheers and welcome to this episode of Extra Extra. It's all about whiskey. I'm Jason Three Names, joined by Joshua the Whiskey Whippet. It's not a one nation under whiskey, so we're not going to get into it. But you are mere days away from running your first ever half marathon. And I, on the record, want to be heard wishing you well. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad you're doing it now rather than after I've died for having run 3.1 miles. There's a, there's a reason that Elijah is flying in. We've, we've sent the younger buck to make sure the older statesman makes it across the finish line in one piece. So long as he brings his defibrillator, I'm, I'm all good in the hood. <laughs> Fibulator, fibrillator, anyway. So an extra extra, one of us brings oftentimes a whiskey-related news story to the attention of the other. We read it in the first half, we riff on it in the second half, and overall we try to get out of here in a tight 30 to 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. What have you brought to our attention this week, Joshua? Well, I think it's better said, what has Colin Mayer, uh, or mares, mm. I should say, the, the pluralized mares uh, from... There we go, the pluralized. The pluralized mares. What he's brought to us, he posted an article on our Facebook page, the One Nation Under Whiskey, actually I should say Facebook group, One Nation Under Whiskey group, and he posted it the other day and he said, Jason Johnston yelling and Joshua Hatting... What do you think about this article? And so, the article he brought to us is from Market Watch magazine. And the article uh, was posted on October 19th. And the headline reads, The Road Ahead for Single Malt. And then there's a, uh, a subheader which says, Battered by COVID-19 and the tariff wars last year, the whiskey world's elite category seeks a new beginning. And at least as of thus far, there's no author tied to this article, but maybe we'll find it by the time we get down to uh, the end of it. And actually, I I should say, this is an extremely long article. So what we're going to do here is we're going to read the meat of the article, which is, yeah, I would say a good 40%, maybe 45% of the article. And then it starts giving us examples of of some of these big players that have been affected by the details within this article. And then it goes on even further to talk about luxury releases and things like that, that we don't need to get into. But if people found this episode interesting, they can always go to marketwatchmag.com and check out this article in full. Yeah, there's a lot to it, but yeah. I'm excited to cover the part that you're about to read to us, Joshua. And like I said, uh, Colin Mayers posted this on our Facebook One Nation Under Whiskey group, the Facebook group. So if anyone wants to read it in full, they can just click on the link that Colin posted. So so let me kick it off here. Single malt scotch whiskeys are among the most expensive spirits found on liquor store shelves, with entry prices starting at around $30 and rising high from there. They draw attention from luxury consumers as well as whiskey collectors, and the category's success is one of the more conspicuous indicators of what premiumization looks like at the retail level. The U.S. is the most valuable export market for Scotland's malts, and for the years leading up to 2020, were an increasing force within the wider U.S. spirits market. A one-two punch from tariffs and the COVID-19 pandemic 
put things into reverse. And here's your yeah. here's your test from the first paragraph. Name me a thirty dollar single malt sitting on a U.S. retail shelf. Can I just move on? Because I can't think of a single $30 single malt. Can you? I started thinking, what's the, what's the access point for Glenn Grant? What's the access point for oh, Glenn Murray? Glenn Murray, yeah. yeah. Right? What's the access point for... <laughs> like that? That's where I'm kind of stumbling along it but even I, I even wonder spayburn right how much is a is a bottle of of spayburn yeah you know what that that's a really good point spayburn spayside go to texas and check out some of this this spec stores and you see all the glen murray on there at really good prices because that's a huge state for glen murray so it's available but i would suggest that while the prices start there they start and end there really quickly and, and move to uh, <laughs> higher denominations of tens. So I didn't mean to derail us, but I, that was your starter for 10 on the first paragraph. So on to the second. In 2020, single malts in the U.S. declined overall by 5.5% to just over 1.7 million cases. That volume is still ahead of 2018 levels. Assuming the tariffs are permanently removed and the pandemic is a temporary problem, it seems likely that single malt scotch will bounce back for another round to return to growth. Marketers from across the industry seem confident that this is a temporary dip in what can remain a vibrant category. New releases and innovations abounded in 2020 despite challenges, and more new whiskeys have followed in 2021. While last year's declines are significant, on a longer timeline, single malt scotch is still in the best position ever. Since 2010, the category has nearly doubled in the U.S. from 1 million cases then to 1.74 million cases in 2020. Last year's, right? That's almost doubling, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Last year's dip erased the particularly strong gains of 2019, but assuming the tariffs are permanently removed, they were suspended for five years in June, and the pandemic is a temporary speed bump, it seems likely that single malt scotch will bounce back for another round and return to growth. Just, just to say this real, real fast, because I know we'll riff in the second half, but it's so interesting to me that for the 10 years of our company, mm -hmm. we've asked the question, what does the future hold? What will the future look like? Is this a bubble? Is this going to burst? And just reading this paragraph, the suspension of tariffs for five years and a pandemic being a speed bump, like... I know I've said it previously, but those two things were never on our radars. We thought it would be consumer-driven. We yeah. thought it would be country or market-driven. We thought it would maybe even be the industry would get in its own way. Tariffs and pandemic. <laughs> it still boggles my mind that those are the two words that we're throwing around right now. Yep. And good to point out, too, that a bubble can't burst if it shrinks in size due to these unexpected things. So keep that one in mind. Right. So the next paragraph starts off with a quote. Uh, with a quote here, the best thing for us right now is that Scotch is actually coming back. 
notes Jeff Feist, category leader, spirits at West Coast retail chain Bevmo. Quote, I could not say that, sorry, quote, I could not say that for, oh, I could not, Jesus Christ, quote, (laughs) I couldn't say, (laughs) I could not say that over the last 12 months, but just recently we've seen a nice little uptick in our Scots category. My guess is they meant Scotch category because it's Scots as in S-C-O-T-T apostrophe S. I think they meant Scotch. Thank you, Siri. Talk to text. Anyway, I shall continue. Single malts are also very near their peak share of the total Scotch whiskey market in the U.S. Last year, roughly 23% of Scotch sold in the U.S. was single malt, slightly less than double its market share in 2020 and more than three times its market share of the overall Scotch whiskey market in the U.S. in 2000. While the rebound so far has been quite strong, import value is still down, with the group reporting that value is down 10% compared to the first half of 2019. Through June of this year, shipments to the U.S. grew by 3.9% to 323 million pounds, or the equivalent of $445 million. The Scotch Whiskey Association also known as the SWA, notes that this is not quite enough to bring the category back up to its 2019 volume or value. According to the SWA, quote, it will take time, investment, and support for exports to the U.S. to regain their strength following a devastating 16 months, end quote. Yeah, it's interesting just for listeners to remember there the difference between volume and value. Yeah, right? Those two sometimes get used interchangeably, but what's the value of the volume that's being imported? Mm -hmm. What's being purchased? What's being consumed? And maybe we'll riff on that a little bit in the second half. Okay. Hopefully you're taking notes. (laughs) I am not. (laughs) This is all down to memory, so we are in big trouble. (laughs) The top five single malt scotch whiskeys struggled mightily in 2020, with four of the five reporting declines anywhere from a modest 0.4% to a much more substantial drop of nearly, you ready for this, 22%. Those those numbers are quite far apart. Yeah, they are. The U.S. leader for single malt scotch whiskeys is is Pernod Ricard's The Glenlivet, which dropped 0.4% last year to 470,000 cases. Though the brand posted its first loss since 2016, the Glenlivet only dropped by roughly 1,000 cases, easily holding its big, big lead in the U.S. market and weathering a tough year successfully. While the pandemic and the tariff situation certainly created challenges for the Glenlivet, the brand owner, Perno Ricard, continued to seek new audiences as well as retain its fans with a handful of new releases. Earlier this year, the brand released the Glenlivet 12-year-old Illicit Still, an homage to the earliest style of whiskey crafted by the Glenlivet's founder before he ran a licensed distillery. 
The June 2021 limited release is set apart from the brand's standard 12-year-old because it's non-chill filtered and bottled at 48%. Quick pause. I like the sound of that. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, which, which, by the way, the article highlights its flagship is a 40% ABV and chill filtered, right? So, yeah, about, a, about eight years ago, I once asked Ian Logan when he was still with the Glenlivet, do you think Glenlivet would put out a product over 40%? And, and his response was, the Glenlivet sells a bottle like every second or every two seconds globally. At 40%, he didn't think they would see the need to change that model. Cut to 2021. That's very exciting. There you go. I like like you adding a little color, Jason. That's why I'm here. Elicits. Not just for my good looks. (laughs) I would be in trouble if that were the case. Elicit still (laughs) followed just over a year after the distillery's previous big innovation, the Glenlivet. Caribbean Reserve, or Caribbean Reserve, however you like to pronounce it. That affordably priced non-age statement whiskey, and this is parenthetical, $35 for a 750 ml. There you go. Hit shelves in April 2020, and according to Perno Ricard's SA chairman and CEO Alexander Ricard, was the sixth largest innovation release in the U.S. last year. In addition to owning the top single malt scotch, Pernod Ricard also handles Aberlauer, the 10th largest brand in the category. Though, though noted, just for reference, that's the largest single malt in France, remains the largest single malt in France. So it shows you the, the variation between the U.S. market and the French market, which always intrigues me. Anyway, though coming from a substantially smaller base, the brand performed well in 2020, rising 20% to 32,000 cases. The company says Everlauer's growth has continued in 2021, pointing to it alongside other Pernod's high-end whiskeys as areas of growth for its fiscal year 2021. For national e-commerce retailer GoPuff, which sounds like they may dabble a bit more in <laughs> cannabis than, than alcohol, but here we are. I don't know about you, but I only get my whiskey from GoPuff. <laughs> HR, go and puff. Um, the Glenlivet is the company's largest single malt brand and its fourth largest scotch brand overall after Johnny Walker, Dewar's, and Chivas Regal, with the Glenlivet 12-year-old as the fourth best-selling individual skew as well. Looking ahead, Ricard expects Pernod's overall performance to improve as markets recover from the pandemic. Quote, we expect a very dynamic first quarter for July, August, and September, obviously helped by a low basis of comparison last year, end quote. <laughs> he said during Pernod Ricard's fiscal year 2021 presentation, quote, We, of course, expect and will continue to invest significantly to seize all growth opportunities around us and support our future's growths. So that's where the that's where the meat of the article stops. And then and then it starts to highlight what they call bigger brand stumbles. And so the article started off saying you know, one big brand stumbled as much as or as little as 0.4%. Mm. 
And then this next part, and we'll, we'll just highlight the beginning of, of this next part because it leads with the brand that dropped by 22%. Sound good? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, bigger brand stumbles. While remaining a juggernaut in the U.S. Scotch whiskey market, Edrington owned the Macallan, hit a major roadblock in 2020, dropping by nearly 22% or 59,000 cases. The brand finished 2020 at 209,000 cases, its lowest point since 2014. That's huge. Making it the only top five scotch whiskey in the U.S. to see its average annual compound growth rate decline between 2015 and 2020. According to Edrington, the McAllen suffered due to the lack of travel retail business and the depressed on-premise atmosphere throughout the year. And there's, there's a bit more to that. Actually, there's a good bit more to that. This is a long yes, article. So I, I know you didn't take notes. I didn't take notes. They're all up here in the steel trap. But why don't we, why don't we take a pause here? And I'll let you take the reins back for me on this, your podcast, Jason. Welcome back to the second half of Extra Extra. I'm ready to get my riff on. And the very first thing that I'm going to pull from from the steel trap of a mind uh, that that statement might have been true 20 years ago (laughs) is this volume versus value. Mm -hmm. Because at the start of the pandemic, I remember we had an episode where we were looking at retail numbers for liquor sales in the early days of the pandemic. And what we were seeing was consumers grasping firmly to their established affordable brands. Mm-hmm. Jack Daniels was selling very well, right? Uh, uh, you know, the Livet would be another example of that. Sure. But stores weren't moving the same quantity of these single casks at cask strength that some companies sell, mm-hmm. right? So the retail stores were still moving volume, but they weren't necessarily making the same money, right? These sales didn't carry the same value. And it's so interesting to me that as that article continues, you see the Glenlivet dipping Mm 0.4%, but you see the Macallan, considered more of a luxury brand, Mm -hmm. to dip 22%. And I think it gives us the beginning of a suggestion about buying habits during the, the pandemic. So two things going on there, import-export with volume-value, and then making sense of Glenlivet being down 0.4, the Macallan being down 22%. Yeah, I, I, I find it interesting. And, and what I'm about to say, I, I realize that there's a good chance that it's, it's going to sound as if I'm saying negative things about one brand over the other. And just to be clear, uh, that's not my intent. But I think the Glenlivet 
and their approach to market is vastly different from the McAllen and their approach to market, where it's obvious the Glenlivet is producing some decent, well-priced, age-stated and non-age-stated 40% alcohol single malts meant for consuming, whereas the McAllen's focus has been less on their standard, say, 12-year-old in their fine oak, and a really a ramp up of those special editions, those collectibles, those duty-free items that the article points out. And if people's access to acquiring these collectibles is stymied, then of course their, their growth will be equally stymied. There's another level to this that I think can affect numbers too. Because the Glenlivet bottles whiskey to be sold on store shelves, to then be purchased and consumed, Mm -hmm. a retailer has no problem charging the price that it's meant to be. However, when you have a brand like McAllen that is luxury, the retailer will often increase the price of that product because there is a secondary market for specialty McAllen's. And these retailers, you know, we've, we've seen it in the world of bourbon where you've got, you know, a bottle of, of Pappy 15, which should be around 90-ish dollars and it's selling for 1000 on retail shelves, right? That, for a brand like McAllen, that isn't Pappy, but it's still luxury, that I think can affect sales too. If, if shops are trying to make up that difference between what a retail price is and what secondary prices are, right? They want to make that margin. If it takes them longer to sell that, it's going to take them longer to buy more and replace it on their shelf. So that can also slow down the overall growth of a brand. Yeah, I I think it's a big question about who are you as a brand and what are you looking to achieve? Mm -hmm. And I think the Glenlivet knows that it wants to have the number one selling single malt in the United States. Mm-hmm. It operates accordingly, it prices accordingly, it sells through accordingly. Mm-hmm. While you were speaking there, I just had a quick look online at the corner of my eye. Here comes Illicit Still from the Glenlivet. Mm-hmm. What's the pricing looking like for this 48 percenter mm-hmm. and this 12-year-old age statement? There's a quite a variety of pricing in the US, but it's it's ballpark, it's looking 40 to $45 in mm-hmm. California, 45 to 50. Did I say California or Florida? You say California. Oh, fuck. Okay, that's the correct one. 45 to 50 in Florida. Mm-hmm. Then it starts 60, 65, 70 in New York, New Jersey, mm. Michigan. So it, it's really running the gamut on its pricing there, but what's interesting is even at 70, say, it's not ripping the arse out of it, right? It's 12-year-old at 48%. It's a little step up, right? If you're if you're a 12-year-old, the Glenlivet drinker at 40%, you might take a little peek at the illicit still and say, oh, maybe I'll give that a go. Or better yet, gosh, are we now in the season? If you know somebody who's a Glenlivet 12 drinker mm. and you're thinking about gift giving or 
you know, a gift as you go over to a, a dinner at their house. Maybe you take them the illicit still. Maybe you buy them the illicit still as that gift. You step it up that little bit. It's not a huge price difference is, is the point I'm making. As you got towards the end of that, I think you hit the nail on the head that this is likely a gift-giving situation. I, I don't know necessarily that a Glenlivet 12 drinker who may buy his or her bottle at 30 to $35 would think that 8% more alcohol and purchasing that up to $40 more than what the other 12-year-old would, would, would agree with your statement of it's not tearing the arse out of it. I would, mm-hmm. I would say people might be put off by that but friends, family, bosses, coworkers, employees might see that and say, you know what, I know so-and-so loves her Glenlivet. I'm going to buy her a bottle of this because it, it seems premium. Yeah, yeah. Do you think, and, and I know we're, <laughs> we're just pulling the McAllen example out because it was in the article, but... You made a point earlier about the McAllen kind of moving more of a focus onto more unique releases or more luxurious releases and almost neglecting the the core, the base lineup. Do you think people are making similar buying decisions with the McAllen where you say, oh, I know somebody who's actually a McAllen drinker. I'm going to take this over to them. Like I, I know for a period they did away with the age statements in the US and they only went by, you know, names. And mm-hmm. do you think McAllen have muddied their own waters? Is is there a standout McAllen bottle that is the go-to for McAllen drinkers? Well, my understanding is that the 12 and the 18 remain the go-to. But you know, looking back at this article where they have some dates going back as far as 2000, but they they seem to be focusing on the differences between 2010 and, and 2020. You know, the, the price of McAllen 18 went from a hundred-ish, you know, give a bit for the 18 to that is now a three to $400 bottle somewhere around there. It's a really, really pricey bottle our listeners cannot see it but i look like a deer caught in headlights <laughs> right now <laughs> with those numbers that's that's really incredible and, and i know it reflects the growth that we're seeing in the in the market across the industry but that's a lot of money for an 18 year old base product Right. And, th- and this is, and you know, as we get deeper into this conversation, I feel as if we're pulling ourselves a bit further away from the point of the article. However, you can, you, you know, reading this article, you can take all the numbers it gives you, whether it's case numbers, dollar numbers, pound numbers, differences between 2010 to 2020, and so on. What it doesn't really focus on is how these brands are targeting the consumer. It's very clear the McAllen want a specific 
consumer base. And they're creating a, a very specific look, right? They're, they're, they've teamed up with Bentley now. They were with Rolls-Royce, mm-hmm. I think, and now they're with Bentley. And if you look at McAllen's market approach through 2020, people were looking at different ways to spend their money and or they no longer had the access to the various McAllen's that they're looking for, like these travel editions. And so where did they put their money? You know, mm. the, you know the, the other thing that this article doesn't point out is it says, here are the top five players who have all seen drops. But let's talk about some of the other smaller players that have seen increases. Well, it's funny that you say that because scanning on farther into the article and, and really to to end our singular focus on McAllen's failures and Glenlivet's successes. But Lagavulin declined slightly, 2.5% down to 64,000 cases. Talisker up 1% mm-hmm. to 26,000 cases. Lafroig down nearly 11% to 69,000 cases. So, so there's, a, there's a little wobble one way or the other, but... The wheels haven't come off, right? No, they they have not. Though it, it, it will be interesting to to see how these brands recover, especially McAllen, as travel starts to come back. Um, will the approach that they had been taking between 2000 and, and 2020 of, of, you know, slowly premiatizing the hell out of their brand can they pick up where they left off? Do they need to start focusing on bringing in the fold again? Uh, that'll be interesting to see, in my opinion. With that said, what's a takeaway for you from this article? Well, I think my biggest takeaway is that it, it doesn't seem all doom and gloom. You know, I mm-hmm. think, I mm-hmm. think, and I'm trying to remember if if we've said it on wax or if we've said it during a pause here uh, in the conversation, but we discussed, you know, from, from our company's inception, what does the next five years look like? What does the next 10 years look like? And you had said, you know, we, we didn't have tariffs in mind. We didn't have pandemics in mind. And, but it was always with the thought of the industry has gone through periods of peaks and troughs and there's a rhythm to it and that rhythm seems to be unending since the industry started 200-ish, 300 years ago, what, you know, whatever it is. There's, there's growth and then there's decline in growth. And I think slash hope what we're seeing here is that both the tariffs, which have now, now gone away, and the COVID pandemic, which in the U.S. we're starting to see things numbers come down and, and, and things starting to get back to normal very early doors, that hopefully this is just a speed bump. Hopefully all it's done is it's made it so that bubble isn't so big. It's not big enough to pop yet. We're not there yet. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my takeaway from all of this. Yeah, mine is almost something that we slept on through the majority of this, which is the, the, the portion in the text where it says last year, roughly 23% of scotch sold in the US was single malt. 
slightly less than double its market share 10 years ago mm -hmm. and more than three times its share of the overall Scotch whiskey market 20 years ago. Yep. Right? And to think, you know, when I was getting into, into whiskey and hearing, oh, yes, you know, 5% of the Scotch market is single malt, mm. right? And then that grew and we started, okay, yeah, 10%. You know, what's what's your production look like as a distiller and how much is mm. going into your, your conglomerate's blends and how much are you releasing to the consumer? It's striking to see the US demand here where virtually a quarter of Scotch demand is for single malts. Yeah. That's a huge number as far as production goes back in Scotland. It's absolutely huge. And if you step back even further and look at the big picture, the trend has gone from 95% of all Scotch whiskey sales were blends to 92% of all Scotch whiskey blends to 90 down to, I've seen numbers as, as low as 88%. So mm -hmm. to see that growth... You know, at least in the time that I've been into whiskey, so the past 15, 16 years, that's a huge amount of growth globally. So single malts are going to grow, and will we see a burst somewhere down the road? Yes, I think we will be seeing that, but hopefully for the sake of the category, should we see a burst like we all expect when things come back, single malt? will have an easier time coming back because it's already set in people's mind. In, in the 2000s, single malt was still a very new thing, right? Yeah. In the 60s, that's when the first single malt brand became a marketing thing. In the 80s, that's when it actually became a category. So it's really a new category for whiskey. So hopefully its youth will, will keep it going. Yeah, and that's one of the things for me is we're looking back over these numbers, we're talking two decades. Yeah, yeah and, right. Right, which is a, a blip uh, on, on a radar. But I've lived every one of those <laughs> years in those two decades, right? Uh -huh. it's, it's meant something at each step of the way, each yeah. passing year. You know, I've, and, and that's why for me, I keep asking that question of folk in the industry who have been in it a lot longer than I have, which is, what do you see? How do you see this going? Mm -hmm. And and hearing them say, well, I can imagine a slowdown, maybe not a bubble bursting. I think we are talking about a new category and an establishing category. And these numbers here and your comments today have, have really you know made sense of that. And so... I'm I'm trying to be more excited and more hopeful about the future of single malt scotch, having seen a pandemic up close and tariffs up close and seeing the way that the industry has weathered that. I think some of these numbers are really very exciting. So oh. I'll leave it. Oh, yes. I just I just like hearing that because you are a negative Nancy, but you've seen the proof. You've seen Pragmatic. the weathering. Thank of, you. <laughs> you've seen the weathering of storms, right? You, you've seen the resilience of this. And so the fact that you remain hopeful, well, that has me excited because it's, you're not the, you know, 
you know. Well, because up to this point, it was year after year. There was nothing getting in the way, yeah. right? And at some point you think something's going to get in the way and how's it going to respond to that? Well, now we've seen two absolutely gigantic things get in the way. Yep. We've seen a little tiny wobble and now let's see if next year's numbers show the, the continued mm. uh, recovery. That's, mm. so, and so, yeah, I, I'm really... This has been a great article. Thanks to Colin of the Plural Mayors for bringing it to us. If if you have an article that you'd like to share with us, please use the questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com email address. No E in whiskey. You could also be like Colin and visit us at the Face Place. Mm-hmm. And this is the One Nation Under Whiskey group, Facebook group. Facebook group. Look at that. Mm-hmm. So... There we go. I think we've done everything we set out to do today. I'm going to call a halt to the proceedings and we'll be back in another couple of weeks with another episode of Extra Extra. Thanks to you, Joshua. And thanks to you, Jason. Thanks to Colin for the article. Thanks for listeners for listening in. We shall return. And until then, I bid you adieu. Adieu.